grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. People ask me all the time the number of questions, but I think probably the one I get the most is, do you have your sermon ready to go? So last night I was at a friend's house. And we talked a little bit about sermons and timing and how things are going in the world. And one of the gentlemen around the table said, the most Googled search in the last week was World War III. I thought that was fascinating. World War III. Normally, I would smile and the people around the table would kind of laugh it off. But there was a little bit of unease about that last night. We're like, yeah. And then we broke down a little bit the social, political, military pieces, and it got a little quiet. The answer to when is a sermon done is a sermon is done when you preach it, and then it's finished and complete. World War III seemed a little farther away two weeks ago than it does today. And then we commented that we live in interesting times. Interesting times. The writer of the Hebrews wrote his letter in interesting times. The Roman Empire held sway. The Pax Romana was there and the Romans ruled with an iron grip. The Christians were fixing to be persecuted and it was going to get rather ugly over gentlemen like Nero, Domitian, and Diocletian. Things were on their way and the hurt was coming down for God's people and a fledgling movement of people called the way. The new movement of people, of grace and social grace, of social justice was hurting pagan economics and and taking attention away from long-standing religious tradition and the economics that went with it. And it was indeed an interesting time in about 95 A.D. But I thought all morning as I ruminated on this sermon a little bit that I wonder what the Google search would have been in 95 A.D. that would have engaged the whole Western world. I wonder what was on the hearts and minds of the people living under the Roman Empire. In the message this morning, I'd like to encourage you in three specific ways through the book of Hebrews with three specific lessons. The first thing as we live in interesting times is that we see God through the face of Jesus. And the second is to encourage you as you live by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And the third piece is to refrain painful episodes in our life as the Lord's discipline. And so I'm going to pull out three little pieces of Hebrews and encourage your spirit, I hope, as the writer did, the people who first read the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 1, 1 to 4. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom also He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful word. 
After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. How do we know God? And how do we see God? 2,000 years later, how do we see God? Well, the writer to Hebrews says, we see and know God through the face of our Lord Jesus Christ. For in Him we've received purifications for our sin. We can talk all sorts of theological things about Jesus being the high priest, both human and divine, who in His death paid for the sins of all humanity. What better way to see God than through the eyes of Jesus, His Son? Maybe 21st century Western culture has gone awry on that. Maybe our lives have become so good that we kind of see God where we want to see Him and anthropomorphize or put our pieces of life onto God. Some people see God in nature, and that's okay. Some people see God in sports and activities and recreation. Some find God in consumption. And God maybe in some of those pieces, but unequivocally, God is for us. God is for us on the cross. And the author reminds us that in those last days and in these last days, we need to be reminded that we see God through the eyes, through the smile, through the death, through the resurrection, through the ascension of Jesus. And it looks good. Instead of making God fit in our little box and, and, and be a God that we can manipulate and put on a shelf and get what we want from, oh, no, 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 no. Our God, our Lord, reveals Himself to us in His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so we look at God through the face of Jesus, through His Son. You are unconditionally loved. You are linked by God through Christ into eternity in a way of thinking and being that's infinitely greater than the pagan world and infinitely bigger than what we could ever hope or imagine. That means that there's a depth to our character, a resiliency to our lives. It means there's a love and a hope inside of us that transcends all of this stuff that we can see. And I don't know about you, but the stuff I've seen in the last couple of weeks is very tough to digest. So while we live in interesting times, the writer of Hebrews moves us to see and to say, I see the eyes of God through the face of Jesus. In a moment, we're going to get up and confess our faith, and we're going to say, he's coming back to judge. And as a child, we'd say that, right? Dad would finish preaching. As soon as he'd do it, we'd stand up. We'd do the creed. and It felt kind of good. And then I would always think in that he's coming to judge, especially in the Nicene Creed, the living and the dead. And I thought, oh, been a rough week. Picked on my sister. Beat up my little brother. Lit a forest fire. Been a rough week. Who better to judge you and me than Jesus? The one who mediated our sins before the throne of God. The one who makes us resilient is the one who died for us. Who better to be our judge than the one who's etched our names on his heart. 
So he stands not as Sam McCoy in Jack McCoy in law and order trying to prosecute us and find ways to get after us and put us away. Rather, he opens heaven's door for all who have faith in him. And as we live in interesting times, we see God through the face of his son and find comfort in the reality that he's coming back to take us to be with him. We see God through the face of his son. Secondly, we live in a time of of, of, of encouragement that comes from standing in a long line of people who've come before us. These words from Hebrews chapter 11, 1 through 3. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. And then the author goes on and on. He said, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Isaac, by faith, Moses, by faith, the people of God. And he, he puts us in this long line of people who, who, who made it through, who didn't quit and didn't give under, who certainly weren't perfect by any means, who but were encouraged by the promise of the Messiah, encouraged by the hope that comes through faith. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. It's a fascinating dichotomy right now. On the one hand, people crave the supernatural. And every every so often you see a a cloud with a sun behind it and people go, oh, I can see God in that cloud. You can see the hand and the wings and all this stuff. I'm like, it kind of looks like a football player to me. And I don't see it, you know. But people crave that, the ability to see and be drawn into the supernatural. The people at Chorazim, the people at Bethsaida, the people at Capernaum, they all saw that and their towns are all gone today. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. People look and say, there's God, here he is, here's what he's doing. I see God, I know God, look at that. My fantasy football team won. It must be by the grace of God. And we make God so small. But faith, faith is God-driven. And it allows us a connection to that which is invisible and that lives in eternity. We hope for what we do not see. That's the essence of faith. Holding on to the promises And hoping for the absolute best. Even when we live in interesting times. And we live. And Christians for generations have lived through painful times. But they found strength in their faith. When everything looked to be going south. They looked to their faith. To their God. To the promises. And to the eternal hope that they had. And they nodded their heads. And they said that's right. Eventually. Eventually, all the stuff that looks so real will go away. And we will be with our Lord Jesus in heaven forever. One day, something eternally better will be ours. And we have faith in the promises of God. 
then we build our lives around those promises, holding lightly to the things we see. Instead of grasping and holding on, we hold loosely to this world, finding meaning and purpose and connection to God in the things that are eternal. Faith guides how we see ourselves, how we view our family and loved ones, how we view the present interesting times, and even more, how we see and hope in the future. Each one listed on that hall of faith, and not one was perfect. Abraham had a problem. Moses had a lot of problems. St. Paul in our text from Acts, he had some big problems. So much so that when God comes to Ananias, he says, hey, you take Paul. He says, you've got to be kidding me. He is the religious persecutor of the whole thing. He's going to Damascus to kill our families. Right. Take him into your house. And, and love on him and see what I'm going to do. God said, he is my chosen vessel. Here at St. John's Lutheran Church in Orange, California, we are descendants of St. Paul. For it was he who brought the message to the Gentiles. Each one like us with a mission, each one like us with a deep faith, each one like us, having been liberated from the slavery of, of what we see and set loose to live creative lives in Jesus, connected to things that are infinitely more powerful, infinitely more eternal than the things that we can see and hear and taste and feel. And Paul, holy smokes, I'm not sure I'm going to get in the Paul line in heaven. I like Peter. Let's play cards and eat brats. It'll be great. That's Peter, right? Let's all sit and talk trash. It'll be great. Not St. Paul. <clears throat> He'll be sitting with the northern Germans in heaven <laughs> because he is hardcore, mission-driven, having seen the worst of sin and death and having been on the side of sin and death. He knew the grace and the love of Jesus even more. There's more to us than what we see, and faith ties us into what is more. And so you and me, we live by faith and not by sight. And the longer we go, the stronger we get, for the more firmly we, the more firmly we are rooted in the promises of God. And thirdly, this marvelous piece from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4, 5, and 6 in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Ugh. I don't like that. I would like if our lives would just be simple and easy and, and you just kind of blow through it from meal to meal, from bike ride to bike ride, from vacation to vacation, but you and me, we know that's not the way it is. We live in interesting times. So how do we handle those interesting times that blow through and, and, and are difficult for us? We feel like we're being personally assaulted or personally persecuted. Or, or, or as a people, as Christians, they were being marginalized in the culture. What do we do? 
Well, for me, one of my responses is anger. If I can get angry enough, then I can just keep people off of me, and I can do it with a hateful comment. I can do it with a physical gesture, uh, right? You, you can show anger with a countenance and a stern face, and people just kind of back off and say, uh-oh, don't say anything to the big guy. He's Anger allows us to push people back and push people away, letting them know that I'm large and I'm in charge and don't mess with me. But the writer of Hebrews here says there's a different response and a different frame to put around the pictures of struggling, of distasteful and painful offense in our lives or of interesting times. As Christians, we take hardship not as random acts of pain that somehow God is putting on us, but rather as our Father who loves us and reveals Himself to us through His Son. He works in the painful stretches of life to hone off rough edges and in that making us more dependent on Him. God, God is toughening us up, thickening our skin as we go through hardship a fool gets mad, and a wise person finds a way to grow. A pagan finds a way to retaliate. A Christian finds a way to love. And we reframe away from anger to faith in Jesus Christ, looking for those painful moments as opportunities to grow, to be more resilient, to be tougher and stronger as life goes and I love that there's a list of people here. You don't associate, you don't think of yourself as Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. Well, maybe you think of yourself as Enoch. Maybe you, Moses, maybe Aaron, maybe St. Paul, maybe St. Peter. There's someone in that list that you can identify with. We stand in line with the saints of God, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Sarah, Rahab, and Deborah. They all had moments where they thought they were alone. And then they looked up in faith and realized, oh my gosh, I'm on the mission for God in this interesting time. God was with them and used them as an instrument of His grace. And in Christ and in community, they were never alone. So look around a little bit today. <laughs> There's people here. We didn't have a solo this morning we had a beautiful duet from Dr. Bark and his beautiful wife, Carrie, which was unreal. We've got a choir, and they sang and filled our hearts and spirits. We're going to cut you loose in a few moments, and we're going to go out in the courtyard and have a donut, a cup of coffee. We're going to love and care for one another and be in community. And maybe, just maybe, you'll look back a little bit and think, me and dad and Grandma and Grandpa and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you look back and you look into community and you find, a, you find a sense of strength because people have gone through it before and they've made it through interesting times to the other side. We are never alone. We are always in community. And so we receive the discipline that comes from the Lord, not with an angry spirit, 
but we frame it around the opportunity to grow, to become tougher and stronger and more resilient. My wife and I recently went to our financial advisor. When I was a young senior pastor, I went to my financial advisor. I thought, eh, this is whatever. This is fantasy land. We'll see how it goes. Now I look with great interest how that. I'm like, okay, I'm 59. If I fall off my bike two more times, I'm going to be, you know. And he always couches it. He says, now, I don't have a crystal ball, and I can't tell you the future, but. And I was kind of shake my head. What I want him to say is, I can guarantee you a 15% return on all your stocks until the day you die. He never does that. Ever. Not one time does he do that. Which is smart and good business. And I trust him for being honest with me. He says, well, if this happens and that happens, then this and maybe this. And then it'll be great. But past returns are no guarantee of future returns. Like, well, that stinks. What we learn in the book of Hebrews is that just the opposite is true in our faith life. What God has done in the past and the faithfulness He has shown to us is the faithfulness that we can count on in the future. God has been faithful to generations before. He is faithful to us now. And in interesting times, He will be faithful to us in the future. With God and in God, through faith in Jesus Christ, past results most definitely indicate future results. For all of us who live by faith and not always by sight. And so the message of the book of Hebrews is simple. 25 minutes later. You can do it. You can make it. And one day, maybe far from now or not far from now, through these interesting times, you will make it to the throne of grace. In the name of Jesus. Amen.